0: Good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew, chapter 2. All right, well, this morning's passage is uh, a familiar passage. It's one that's normally read and preached during a time of the season called Epiphany, which is celebrated uh, usually on January the 6th in the church calendar. Um, Just to kind of give you a heads up for that, and just in case you didn't know that, um, Epiphany is... uh, uh, a time that we uh, recognize the manif- manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are represented by the wise men that we find in this passage. So Jesus is revealing himself to the Gentiles on uh, Epiphany. And so as we read, just kind of keep that in mind and as we uh, listen to the message preached this morning. So, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Let me read. they, de- they departed to their own country by another way. This is God's word. Let's pray as we look at this passage. Father, we thank you that you have brought us through the Advent season, that you've reminded us every week what this time of year is, uh, what we are to be doing this time of year, and that is to, to be seeking and worshiping your Son. And so we thank you for that reminder again this morning from this worship service, this entire worship service, and from this passage that we just read. I pray, God, that you would renew our joy uh, in the birth of your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now, this scene is probably still pretty fresh in your mind because you probably, if you're like us, still have it set up in your home. Mary and Joseph are there the baby Jesus, three wise men, maybe a couple of shepherds, a sheep, there's always a camel, um, maybe other things that your kids put in there, um, and maybe even an angel on the roof somewhere hanging out. And the scene's not only replayed in our home every year, but it's also replayed in the the music that we sing, even the music we hear on the radio, um, books that we read, plays and reenactments that we watch, uh, poetry, artwork, the list goes on and on and on. Why? Have you ever stopped to wonder why? Why do we give so much effort to this simple moment in history? And I believe the reason is, it's one of the most countercultural events that has happened in all of human history. And I believe we all know it at some level, whether we think it's true or not. We know that this is a crazy moment in history. I was reading uh, a blog yesterday, uh, First Things blog, and uh, there's a blog article called The Joyful Mystery of Christmas that I thought was pretty relevant to what we were talking about today. But he did some some research and looked at some statistics and things like that, and um, I just thought it was pretty interesting as to what we're talking about. But I'll read an extended quote from this article. He said a recent Pew study has found that instead of being at war with Christmas, Americans actually love it. Three quarters of Americans believe that Jesus was born to the Virgin Mary and that angels appeared to shepherds to tell them that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. The study found that about 65% believed in all the historical aspects of the Nativity, about the same percentage who will attend church this Christmas. But of course, these statistics can be misleading. But they do tell us something, namely that when pressed, Americans don't think that Christmas is about Santa, snowmen, talking reindeer, or even shopping. Americans aren't terribly reflective about what they believe about Christmas, but they are certain that it celebrates the birth of Jesus Christ to a virgin in Bethlehem roughly 2,014 years ago people act differently during this time of year. I was on the I was in a phone conversation a couple of days ago with a Zappos employee and we got into the conversation of how our Christmases went. I don't normally get into conversations with people who are in far distant places when I'm trying to return shoes. But Asked him how his Christmas was going, and just in case you're wondering, he had a great Christmas. He spent it with his girlfriend's family and had a lot of food, and he gave everybody shoes for Christmas. Go figure. <laughs> True story, though. Tell me all that. Because I, I really believe that the message, of, the message of Christmas brings hope and joy, and that, that is worthy of celebration, even to people who may not yet know Christ. There's something different about Christ, Christmas. Jesus, God the Son, humbles himself leaving his throne in heaven, and becomes a human. But not only does he become a human, he he becomes one of the most vulnerable humans, a baby. So God the Son enters into into our world in, in the exact same way that we do. He starts out the exact same way we do, as a helpless baby. But not only does he become a baby, he becomes a baby that is born into Poverty and scandal, as we've learned over the past few weeks. He's born into a really vulnerable situation. He's definitely not born with a silver spoon in his mouth. And at first glance, this makes absolutely no sense. It makes no sense. Why would God, who's coming in to save the world, to rescue the world, do it like this? Well, he had to. He had to. In order for you and I to be reconciled back to God, Jesus had to come and live a life just like us, but perfectly, and die a death that we deserved. And he had to do it for you and for me. That's why he did it in this way. And maybe some of you are like me, as David mentioned last week, about we read, the, read this story, the Christmas story, and you hear these songs sung about this amazing reality. You set up your manger scene every year at Christmas without ever giving this miraculous act a second thought. But God is still leading people to His Son. He's still leading people to Jesus And it may not be by a star, but it is by other means. Each of you is sitting in this space for one particular reason or another, myself included. You are not here by accident. God is leading you to see Jesus through His Word here. And I say all this to remind you that the most important part of this scene that we just read in Matthew is not the wise men. It's not the animals that are there. It's not even this star that appears in the sky that leads the wise men to Jesus. Rather, the central aspect of this scene is the reality and relevance of Jesus Christ, God the Son, breaking into our world. That's what's most important here. And Matthew is using the wise men and the star to show us very specifically from the very beginning of Jesus' life that he is different. He is set apart. He is significant. And he does this by showing us two things that are true about Jesus. The first thing is that that Jesus is a king. And the second thing is, is that Jesus is also a shepherd. Just like his Grandfather David, Jesus is the shepherd king. Now these are two occupations that are found on the, the opposite ends of the spectrum. Okay, And one that, one that you're, you're born into. So if your father was a shepherd and you were born into that family, you were more than likely going to become a shepherd. If your father was the king, you were more than likely going to inherit the throne one day. And Jesus comes on the scene representing both. One is is humble and dirty and oftentimes an outcast. And the other is prestigious and powerful and wealthy and esteemed. And Jesus comes in representing both. Both humility and power, poverty and wealth, weakness and strength, They all come together in the person of Jesus right here in this scene that we just read about. Look with me at verses 2 and 3 again in Matthew chapter 2. As we learn about Jesus as our king. So the wise men are inquiring, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. So the wise men come on the scene, inquiring about uh, where the king is, has been born. Okay, And they don't come into Jerusalem wondering. They're not just like, hey, we heard about the possibility of maybe this baby that was born, that's supposed to be the king of the Jews. They don't come in. They come in confidently saying, where is the king that has been born? Where is the king that has been born? And we know this um, because they they say they see the star they saw in the sky. They they call it his star. We've seen his star. So there's a baby that has been born into royalty. There's a king that has been born. Now we don't know much about the star here. Uh, if it was a, some people believe it was Halley's comet. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, we don't know if it was a planet or just a cluster of stars that caused it to be so bright and to stand out. Um, Numbers 24, 17 speaks of a star that will actually come out of Israel. There may be a slight parallel with Genesis 15, 5 when, when God tells Moses to go out and count the stars to number his descendants. We don't know. But what we do know from our text is that God used this specific star for a specific purpose, and that was to lead these wise men to his son Jesus. That was the reason the star was there. No other reason than that. And these men were so persistent persistent in their pursuit to find Jesus that there is no doubt that they were being led by something outside of themselves. They did not just wake up one morning and say, hey, you know what, there's a star in the sky, I think we should just go check it out and just kind of see what's going on. No, they were led by something outside of themselves because you don't, you don't seek Jesus out on your own endeavor. Jesus has to be moving in you in order for you to do that. And that's exactly what's happening here with these wise men as God is leading them to his son to worship him. Well, we know this because they're following a star, so they're following this kind of phenomenon in the sky. But we also know this too in that they approach Uh, King Herod. Okay? King Herod is the king of the land at this time. So they come into the land asking for the king. Where is this new king that has been born? They're not looking for King Herod. And just so you know, King Herod is the self proclaimed king of the Jews at this time. Okay? So when they come in asking for a new king of the Jews, this doesn't take a lot of uh, smarts to know that this was not the wisest move in the world, okay? We know from historical accounts that King Herod was a power-hungry tyrant who ruled by violence and intimidation. He was a very paranoid king, okay? He thought people were going to come in and take his throne from him. He was so paranoid that he actually killed one of his wives and three of his sons, because he thought they were going to take the throne from him. And Emperor Augustus said of King Herod, It is safer to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. So, the wise men coming in like that, we know that there was something beyond them that was leading them to Jesus in order for them to to be that brave to bring this to the king. Other ways we see this baby acknowledged as king is through the the posture of these wise men when meeting Jesus. Look with me at verses 9 through 11. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now we already know that their pursuit of, of Jesus involves worship. Okay, They say, where is this new king that has been born so that we can go and worship him? That's their pursuit. That's their goal. And they immediately, upon meeting Jesus, take a posture of worship. Now the verb here that's used for worship is is not always used to indicate primary worship of God the Creator. This word is used throughout the Bible in just worshiping even human earthly kings as well. So we don't know um, how it's being used here, but what we do know for certain is that these that these men do recognize something significant, something different about the person of Jesus that causes them to immediately begin to worship Him. So at the very least, these men worship Him as an earthly human king, and at most, they're worshiping Him as God. There's no in-between here. They're acknowledging his, his, king, his kingly rule in some way or another. There's no doubt about that. Jesus is the king. Now I want you to put yourself in, into the story here. This is about two years after Jesus is born. Um, and these men, these wise men that, that gather here at the home of Mary and Joseph, um, actually could have been upwards of about 14 wise men. Okay? Okay? Some of that is probably shocking to some of you right now because you're like, I have three wise men in my manger scene. What's going on? Well, your manger scene's a little wrong. So next year you need to buy, that was a joke, next year you need to buy you know, maybe three or four extra just to be on the safe side. Um, and also to put them way away from your manger scene because they're actually not visiting Jesus and Mary and Joseph in the manger here. Mary and Joseph actually have a home at this time and they're visiting them in... In the, in the home of, uh, of these people. Um, so you have all these servants, you have maybe 14 wise men, so you have a, a great crowd of people that have gathered at the humble home of, of Mary and Joseph. And they're seeking their son. And as soon as they see Jesus, the son, they immediately lay themselves prostrate on the floor and begin to worship him. There doesn't seem to be any chit-chat, maybe there was a little bit, but as soon as they see Jesus, they lay out and worship Him. There's no choir singing the Hallelujah Chorus here. This is not a great cathedral they're in or a great castle. This is a humble home and it's probably pretty quiet with the exception of whatever these men may or may not be saying. It's probably pretty awkward and pretty shocking for Mary and Joseph to be experiencing this particular scene right before their eyes. So they're probably giving their, their, uh, each other sideways glances going, what's going on here? This is, this is strange. Um, it'd probably be as awkward as if I were to uh, demonstrate how they laid themselves on the floor and I just laid myself flat on the floor right here and now. And some of you are saying... Okay, that's pretty awkward. I hope he doesn't do that. Don't worry, I'm not. But that's how awkward it was. And that's the scene we have here. And these men continue in their worship to Jesus. They don't stop and they, they begin to give Jesus these extravagant gifts. This gold and frankincense and myrrh. These were not humble gifts. These were extravagant. You didn't bring these to every baby shower that you showed up in Bethlehem with. You didn't bring these. These gifts were meant for The king. They were meant for a king. And these pagan wise men show us what our entire lives are to be spent doing. Seeking and worshiping King Jesus. Are you doing this? I know I've been challenged during this Advent season by the question... Um, How is the reality and relevance of Jesus breaking into my world, changing me on a day-to-day basis? Or am I believing the gospel message that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners in every part of my life? Am I believing that? What we celebrate during Advent season, during the Christmas season, do you believe that? Will you believe that next week? Will you you be experiencing that same joy that you've experienced on Thursday this coming Thursday? Will you? Will you allow this king to change you? Well, the second aspect of who Jesus is from this passage is that he's not only a king, but he's also our shepherd. And in this passage, Matthew's revealing these things to us in a couple of different ways. One is by natural revelation, so the things that you can see, feel, and touch around you, these wise men, these magi, and also the star. But you also see it in special revelation through God's Word. So look with me at verse 6. So after the wise men have brought to the attention of King Herod that, hey, there's a baby king that's been born, King Herod is in a panic. So he calls his wise men and his counselors and saying, hey, what's going on? Is this true? And they say, yes, this is true because this is what the prophet says. So verse 6, And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler, a king, who will shepherd my people Israel. The prophecy we find here in verse 6 from Micah 5 lets us know very clearly... That King Jesus is no King Herod. Jesus' reign is selfless, it's humble, it's gentle, it's gracious, it's judicious, it's generous, on and on and on. He will shepherd his people. Just in that simple word, shepherd. And you may be asking, why is it important for us to know that Jesus is a shepherd? I'm good with him being a king, a king I can relate to, kind of, I can have a ruler over me, but a shepherd seems below me. It seems like a step down. Well, it's true. It It is a step down. And the reason why it's important is because Jesus is not sitting on his throne in heaven as king, sighing in frustration and wagging his finger at you, at your sin and your disobedience. Rather, he's the king that humbles himself, comes down and enters into the battle on your behalf by himself, taking on our enemies and dying for us. He's doing battle on the front lines for us as our shepherd king. And he offers himself as the slain sheep, all for our benefit and for God's glory. That's why it's important. This is not a King Herod who's arrogant and paranoid. This is a King who is humble and loves you and cares for you. So much so that he would go to the most brutal death anyone could ever experience on a cross. Jesus, Jesus says in, in John's Gospel, in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And if you look with me, just real quickly... At Psalm 23, which I think is a really um, clear example of who Jesus is that we see in Psalm 23. And I just want to read it um, for us and then just say a couple of things about it. Because this is a description of our shepherd king. Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. That's our shepherd king. He, he provides for you. He comforts you. He restores you. He leads you rightly. He makes you fearless in the face of evil. He is always with you. He honors you. And he gives you a secure rest for eternity. Now, if Jesus is your shepherd king this morning, those promises are for you. If Jesus is not your king this morning, you are without a shepherd. And Jesus looks on you as harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. You're wandering around with absolutely no clear direction, and eventually that wandering will lead you to death. The Bible is very clear about that. And Jesus being the shepherd king makes him accessible to all. We learned in 1 Timothy that God desires for all people to be saved. For all people to be saved. So Jesus can be your king. He's accessible to you and he's continuing to lead men and women and children to himself to worship him. Is he calling you this morning to that? And if he is, would you come and worship him? And pray for us. Father, we thank you so much that you remind us that we uh, have a king who is not only a reigning, ruling king, but a humble shepherd who humbled himself uh, to the point of becoming a human baby and humbling himself even more to becoming, to becoming our sacrifice on the cross for our sins. So we thank you so much that we are able to celebrate that at this church and over the Advent season. And I pray that even next week or or tomorrow that we would continue to celebrate Jesus Christ coming into the world to save sinners. In his name we pray. Amen.